0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Oh, so glad to be here. Kids are making their way to Kidmo. It's been a great delight for me. I've been able to be here several Sundays in a row, and that helps as we build momentum for this series that we are calling The Quest. And if you have missed any part of this, you can go online and download. The idea here is The Quest is a series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And the writer, a little background, the writer of Ecclesiastes is not so much writing a book of answers, right? So much of the Bible is answers. Here's what the Lord did. Here is the story of redemption, God's writing. Instead, Ecclesiastes it's a little different. Ecclesiastes is a book of questions. It's pushing you and really prodding you to, to, to determine, are, is your philosophy of life going to get you where you want to be? Is it really sufficient? Tim Keller says that in the binding of the 66 books of the Bible, In a way, you know, uh, uh, you could take Ecclesiastes, lift it out of where it's bound, and instead put it in the beginning of the Bible, because it sort of opens up all these questions. Is there a God? Does He care about us? Is there meaning in life? What is the best philosophy of life to have? And then the rest of the Bible provides an answer to the questions that the writer of Ecclesiastes is raising here. And if you were here last week, for example... One of the principles that he talked about. Does anybody remember the verse last week? Anybody? I, I, I asked you to memorize a verse. I know you remember the candy. Anybody remember the type of candy we used? Yeah, Skittles. All right. So if you remember Skittles, no pressure. But you got to remember the scripture here. You ready? Better one handful with what was it? Tr- very good. Tranquility than two handfuls with what? With toil. Chasing after the very good, very impressive. That, that warms my heart to know you remembered that uh, for, the, for the whole week. But that's right, better one handful with tranquility, the idea one handful with some margin in your life, in our spending and in our schedule, than two handfuls and, and getting more of what I don't have is what's going to make me happy. Says it doesn't work that way. Well, eventually, the writer of Ecclesiastes, eventually, King Solomon has to turn his attention. To a topic that you knew he was going to land on. When you talk about meaninglessness and you talk about is there any purpose and is there any reason to what we're doing, those questions come up most frequently under today's heading, under today's topic. And today, in chapter 8, if you want to go ahead and be turning there, we'll start in chapter 8, verse 10. In chapter 8, I'll have the verses up here on the screen, Solomon turns his attention to the topic of suffering. Suffering. At some point, if this guy's, you know, kind of, kind of uh, taking on the guise of a, of a professor and he's going through all the stages and philosophies of life, eventually he has to talk about the topic of suffering. And this is what I've determined. We humans do not so much have a problem with suffering. What we have a problem with is, like, unjust suffering. Pointless suffering. That's what we have a problem with, I've decided. People actually don't have a problem with something. In other words, if I hit my hand with a hammer, if I'm hammering a nail and I hit my thumb with a hammer and I mash it really good, I don't go through the whole week going, why, God, how could you let this happen, right? I'm not cursing, God. If anything, I'm upset with myself for being so clumsy, You right? If I accidentally leave my stove on and it burns my whole house down, I'm not like angry at God. How could you let this happen? God's like, you, how could you let this happen? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm angry at myself. I'm thinking, why was I so thoughtless? You know, but I don't have, I can see the cause and effect. I left the stove on, I burned the house down. And my house is completely demolished. But when there's a hurricane and my house is completely demolished, now we've got a problem. When there's an earthquake that demolishes my house, now we've got a problem. See, it's suffering that I can't It's suffering I can't figure out. It's suffering that I'm going, now wait a minute, I did nothing wrong. What what did I do to deserve this? That's why one of the books of the wisdom literature is so important, the book of Job. That's Job's point. The reason throughout the ages, Job, the book of Job, has been the masterpiece on suffering is because we're dealing not just with human suffering, we're dealing with unjust suffering. That's Job's point. If I had done some heinous sin against God, then I can understand all the suffering in my life. But what's Job's point? What does it say over and over in the scriptures? Job was a righteous man. Job's a guy going, I, I've been following you. I've been, like, obeying your commands. And that's why he's losing his mind. And his friends are like, oh, you must have done something, bro. Job's like, I'm telling you. What are you good for? Elphaz, Bildad. The other guy, seriously, what is your advice good for? You're sitting here telling me that I did all this bad stuff, and Joe's point is I'm a righteous man. And yet all this suffering is being dumped on his life. That's what he has. That's what we find so problematic. Because over and over and over again in the church, we keep coming, 99%, like all these Christians I know, their theology of suffering, honestly, when you boil it all down, it's really no better than just sort of glorified spiritual karma. It's like I do good stuff. I expect God to bless me. That's what it all comes down to. I'm doing, God, I am trying not to sin so much. And I'm doing my part here. And if I keep this up, I mean, I've gone to church. I even went to church. I'm, I plan to come on Labor Day weekend. Okay, that's bonus points. I've even come in the rain. I've got three kids. You know how hard it is to find shoes, God? So I, I obviously am doing my part here. And that means you have to do your part. And that means I can understand when some blessing comes my way. Fine, I hit traffic, I hit my hand with a hammer. But the big stuff, you better protect me from that. Why? Because I'm doing my part. And the hidden implication in all this is now you have to do your part. You are in my debt, God. And if you don't do your part, I can sue you for breach of contract. Because this is the arrangement we have. It's just glorified cars and we don't help matters when the testimonies we celebrate most in at least in my church that stories you always hear almost they almost set you up for this don't they? well my life was in the gutter and I wasn't doing any good and I was sinning but when I turned my life over to Jesus I suddenly got straight A's and I got a job and a promotion my acne cleared up you know, I, no more zits like really like we celebrate this stuff, and that's the stories you hear right when i started doing good then god started giving me good right because if you do good you should get good in return and 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 then you, how about this one and then I, I had 81 dollars in my to my name and that missionary came and i knew i had to god called me to it. i knew i had to give it and so i wrote a check i gave that 81 dollars and what do you hear and the next day you not gonna believe this went to the mailbox Got a check in the mail randomly for, help me, 80 no, $162. God gave me double blessing, right? Because that's what always happens. And you always hear those stories and you celebrate. You never hear the story. Nobody's ever been invited to the stage. Hey, y'all, I just want to give testimony. Uh, I had $81 to my name and I felt the Lord needed to give, me to give this to a missionary, so I gave it. And the next day, y'all, can't make this up i went to my mailbox and i got a bill for 162 dollars and i had to pay it and my kids didn't eat for a week thank you i just wanted to tell you about how my kids starved Right? right let's get back into worship we're going where's that story? but the bible says well how do you not expect that the bible says there is no reason we should the bible says it doesn't work that way look look at what solomon says look at where he discovers this first of all look at what he says Chapter 8, verse 10, where has his next stop to get wisdom? And listen, you could, get, you could go to a lot worse places to get wisdom than this. Look at verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. He goes to a funeral. And when you, I've often said, if the next time you're at a funeral, not, not a funeral someone really close to you because you're too grieving, you just need to grieve, you need to grieve and believe, hang on and we'll get through. But next time you go to somebody you didn't really know very well, do this for me. If you really want to change the world, if everybody would go to a funeral and just think for three minutes... About what's happening right there world be a different place the world be an absolutely different place if we just stopped and thought when we were at a funeral suddenly we really start to think don't we about what's important what matters what's going on so he goes to a particular kind of funeral he goes where the wicked is going to be buried this is the oppressor the manipulator this is the one who was doing human trafficking, the racist, the one who oppresses the poor and the weak, and I saw the wicked buried, and what's going to happen? What's the Bible say happens next? And when I saw the wicked buried, what happened? I saw the ground open, and the bowels of hell received the wicked. Is that what he's going to say? That's what he deserves, right? Right? And then I saw the ground open and the coffin, the ground started to smoke. Literally, the flames of hell licked the coffin as it was lowered in, right? That's what we're all waiting for, right? What's going to happen when the wicked buried? I mean, surely, it's like, come on, there's some some justice. You know what I'm saying, right? The evil people get their, I I, I hesitated to use this word because you're such a sophisticated and youthful crowd, but I'm going to go for it. Are they going to get their comeuppance? Now we know, I should not have used that word, but that's how you learn. You know. You, okay. But are they going to get their come comeuppance? Are they going to get what's coming to them? Let's find out. Nope, they used to go in and out of the holy place. They were praised in the city where they had done such things. You mean cursed? No, nope. No, everybody said nice things about him. In the, in the very city where they had done evil, it's not like he went off to Vegas and did all his evil, and came back to Long Island. Well, he was a nice guy. A little false. In the very city where he had done the oppressed, the oppressed people that he had oppressed, come to his funeral and say nice things about him. He gets to go in and out of the holy place. He gets to go in and out of the temple. He can come to church. He can come take communion just like everybody else. There is no come-up comeuppance. He gets praised in the very city where he had done these evil things. And if that makes you go, that's not just. That is unjust. That's unbelievable that we live in a world where nobody seems to get their comeuppance. That's exactly right. Or as Solomon likes to say it, this also is vanity. That's Solomon. That's Ecclesiastes way of saying what you're feeling. That ain't right. Right. Or as he says, this is vanity. It's, it's a meaningless. Do you feel that frustration that it never seems like the wicked get what's coming to them? Yeah. He says that's right. Skip ahead to verse 14 where Solomon puts it even more plainly the English translation is a little kind of like wooden and wordy, but you'll totally get what he means because this has happened to you. Look, look, I'm just skipping ahead a few verses. Here's a vanity that takes place on earth. Let me illustrate that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. That's a very kind of wooden way to say it, but you get what I'm saying? The stuff the wicked deserve, all that garbage and wrath, who does that get dumped on? Does that get dumped on the wicked? No, it says it gets dumped on the righteous. The righteous end up getting what the wicked deserve. And meanwhile, you guessed it, there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And everybody says, amen. Yes, we've all seen that. Is that not the, is that the, think about where you work. Don't you want to clip that verse out and hang it on the fridge at your workplace? I mean they know that sandwich is not theirs they like nobody wakes up and goes i can't remember if i made this delicious sandwich or not this morning that's eh, probably mine take a bite and put and yet what are you doing you've never stolen food right you've never done your thing what about on a on a personal level haven't we all seen that the the the, the you know the the oh i mean there they are at work And they're always, oh, in front of the boss. You can't stand it. I mean, they're always, you know, and saying the right things. And yet they'll stab you in the back. And what happens to them? They get promoted. And you're stuck at the same pay grade. And you're going, are you kidding to me? The stuff that gets dumped on me should happen to... There, there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. There are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. That is, Everybody has felt that on a personal level. Or what about a cosmic level? Cruel dictator comes in, drives out a free government. And the cruel dictator, does he get what's coming to him? No. He just, okay, that's the new government. And he just seems to get more and more power. We, we read about stories where CEOs Rob investors of their retirement money And the employees, the people way down the food chain They get laid off They can't put food on their table What does this guy get? It's a bonus And you go, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Ecclesiastes 8.14, all over the place well, What about the, the I think about these pastors in suffering countries That are closed to the gospel They get thrown in jail And it seems like there's no justice Here's a person doing what's right And the the, the, the power of the 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 evil just seems to grow, right? The person who took credit for your idea at work, there they are, get ahead, you're stuck. How many of your students who've ever experienced, you know, you knew about it. I mean, you didn't partake, but you knew about it. There was a group, they cheated. They cheated on the exam, and they all got A's. And you're sitting there with your C minus going, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And you never get a report card with a C minus that has an asterisk for your parents at the bottom. But I also have integrity. Like, nobody gets that, you know what I mean? They don't give those out. He said, yeah, but down the road that catches up to them. No, it didn't. They graduated with an A, right? And ended up eating your food in the break room at work. Like, they they never change, you know what I mean? (laughs) Let's get real personal for a second. Let's get real personal. Some of you are in here right now, and you are single, and you desire the gift of marriage i believe the bible teaches that both marriage and singleness is a gift from god okay that you can be a fully expressive and awesome christian as a single person or a married person and that's just what the bible teaches i mean you know for example like uh, think of a single person who we really celebrate like paul or jesus so we're big on single people uh, or married people, also, you can be fully expressed. I'm just trying to say you're not like an incomplete person. As a single person, that's a gift. But let's say you're single and you really desire marriage. You've not been given the gift of singleness. You know you, you, you want to be married and all that stuff. Let's get real personal for a second. Deeds of course. Here you are doing it God's way, and you refuse to lower your standards. You're going to be completely chaste outside of marriage, okay? You're going to be completely pure, sexually pure before marriage, and you're not going to date somebody that's not a believer. They're not on the same page, and so you're not even going you don't like that destination, you're not even going to get on the train. Okay? You're not even going that way. You're going to keep your standards high. You're going to honor God and your friends. It's just anything goes. And they get the big engagement ring and the huge wedding. And you're going, God, What's up? Seems like, seems like me, I'm doing it your way. Seems like I should get a big ring. I should get the biggest ring, in fact, of all these people, <laughs> right? Right? Because here I am living for purity. Here I am living for you. These people are living anything goes, any standard, whatever. And and, and it's like the deeds of the wicked are being done according to the righteous, and the deeds according to the righteous of the wicked are being, whatever! Ecclesiastes 8.14 is happening. Here. you felt it. I have too. And as Solomon says... In economy of language, he says, this also is vanity. He says, you're right, that does happen. It's frustrating. Year after year, generation after generation, perhaps the place when you go to pray and you have this frustration in your heart, you will find great company in the Bible's prayer book. Over and over again, the Bible never ceases to shock people with what's in it. The Bible's prayer book, there's a prayer book right in the middle of your Bible, it's called Psalms. And Psalms are honest prayers people have written to God. And when you go to the Bible, often people, if you're not familiar with the Scriptures, or even if you are sometimes, you are surprised by what's in the Psalms. Because you think, this is the Bible's prayer book. These are the most holy prayers that have ever been prayed. That would make anybody nervous. Man, they're probably filled with the proper language. Look, I'm not the author of the Word of God. I'm just a dude. But if I came up to you as a pastor and was like, for the next five minutes, I want you to pray the most reverent, holy prayer before your holy God. Go, I will listen. You'd be nervous. You'd be like, the thou art. Why am I talking Shakespeare? It sounds more holy. Like, I I get it. You'd be scared to death. And so you turn to the Psalms. You're like, man, I bet these are the... So in there is probably the most perfect prayers, the most, I mean, reverential, the most, you know, surely... And yet you turn there, and my favorite, Psalm 73, he's like, all that stuff about how the wicked never seem to get what's coming, and meanwhile the righteous get dumped on all what should have come to the wicked, Psalm 73, is, is, this isn't, you can't make this up, this is Psalm 73, this is a prayer, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles, Lord, their bodies are healthy and strong, they're free from common human burdens, they're not plagued by human ills, then he goes on and lists all the deeds of the wicked, just take my word for it, they are very wicked. And they they say, back to verse they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? That's what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I've been afflicted. And every morning brings new punishments. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) That's in the Bible, yo. Nobody prays like that. You'd be mortified if you're teaching your kid to pray and you walked in one night and you saw them kneeling at their bed and they were praying, and God bless mommy and daddy. And every day I get more afflictions. Every morning new punishments. The wicked, they're fine. And thank you for my toys. Amen. No more Dora the Explorer for you. That swiper is a bad influence on your soul. You'd, You'd be mortified. What you learn eventually as you study the scriptures is God doesn't want to hear the right prayer from your heart. He wants to hear the honest prayer from your heart. He's God. He can take it. He made your heart, you know. He knows you. And he wants to hear you honestly. And that's as honest as Psalm 73. Somebody just getting gut level honest and we just get to overhear it. And the value of Psalm 73 is you felt it and now you have a vocabulary for your heart's hurts when you go to God. That's why praying through the psalms can be so powerful. see, I can't even pray to God. I don't even know what to say. Open up the psalms. You will find somebody's been there and can give vocabulary to your prayer. You can use your own words, but when you go to the word of God, you say, look, somebody's been there. And that's, this is all Solomon's saying. Solomon is saying, yes, Psalm 73, correct. I, this is what I observe going on here. And as if all that weren't enough, it gets worse. Come with me to a darker place. Um, On top of all that, sometimes there is justice, but every now and then, when there is justice, it takes so long for justice to happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if there ever is justice, it takes so long. There's no, like, lightning bolt for sin. Does anybody grow up with the lightning bolt theology? I did as a kid. I used to think the way it worked was you did something bad. I remember sitting in church being like, go ahead, tell a lie. Say Say a curse word. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. He's going to get lightning bolted. Because you're in church, you know, and so you're like, do it. I'm not doing it. Do it. And there'd be one kid that would do it, and we're like, and to this day, I'm st- I, To this day, I'm waiting. Some of them deserve their lightning bolt, and it's not yet happening. Some of my friends I grew up with in church, they still have not been lightning bolted. But I thought that's how it worked. You do the sin, zap, you do that. Instead, it's not like that at all. Look, 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 look look what happens. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, what do people do? When there's not immediate punishment for sin, what do people do? Do they go, oh, I bet there's. Of course. There's no immediate punishment for my sin because of the Lord's forbearance. He's giving me a chance to repent. And that's is that what we do? No, because there's not a speedy execution of justice, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Isn't that isn't that absolutely human nature? We go, we do a sin, and what happens? Nothing. So what does that teach us? I'm good to go i'm gonna plan more sin i I mean uh, obviously it right we we think uh, we get away with it this this goes all the way back to the garden. satan knows this and it goes all the way back to the garden of eden that's why in the garden of eden that's what made that lie of the serpent so insidious because it had a little all good lies you have to have a sprinkling of the truth that's what makes him such a good lie And Satan knows that. And so what he tells, Adam and Eve were together. We know that from Genesis chapter 3. It says he gave some to the woman. She ate some and gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it as well. So we know scripturally, fact, Adam and Eve were there together. So when Satan was tempting, he wasn't tempting Eve. He was tempting Adam and Eve, okay? He was talking to both of them. And he asked them, did God really say, right? He gets them to question God's word. And then he hits them with this. This is such a good lie. He hits them with this. You will not surely die. You know, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil, and that's why he doesn't want you to have it. But hear that? You'll not surely die. And in a sense, he's kind of right. They didn't just eat the fruit, right? They didn't, it didn't happen that way. But in a way, they did die. You, you get it? it? They were spiritually separated. And I think, now that's all in the Bible. This part is just me speculating. I, I'm convinced that's why Adam made Eve go first. He's sitting there, and he's known God a little bit longer than Eve has. And so far, everything God has said, he said, the day you eat of that, you'll die. And I am thoroughly convinced, he's like, ladies first, you know. <laughs> and now what? I'm waiting to see. How, you know, he, if, if she just, he's like, I got more ribs. But I do not, okay, I, <laughs> I'm not, right? Instead, what happens? The serpent's like, hmm, hmm? Adam's like, "Mm, hmm, (laughs) hmm, hmm? Nothing, right? And yet to this day, you know, what else would you say? The day they eat of that, we all die, didn't we? I mean, every time a bullet tears through flesh and blood, it's just going back to the Garden of Eden. Every time there's a cancer, every time there's a hurt, a gang, a rape, a, a murder, a disease, we totally died that day. That's the problem. We just think, well, you know, listen, I'm going to let you in on something, kids, if you're here and you didn't make it to Kidmo. Sometimes you can lie, and this is so scary. You ready? Sometimes when you lie, you'll get away with it. Sometimes for a long time, you'll get away with it. That should scare you to death. When we don't get punished immediately for sin, we start to think three things about God. Well, we think maybe God is indifferent. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe there is no God. Maybe he doesn't care when I sin. Or worse, we think he's impotent. He doesn't have the ability. He's not powerful enough to enforce his commands. You know, well, maybe God cares about sin, but he's just not strong enough to enforce it. And we would never say this third one out loud, but sometimes we think he's not only indifferent, impotent, he doesn't have the power to do it, but he's also, and we would never say it out loud, but in our heart of hearts, we think... um, He's sort of he plays favorites. Like this sin I'm about to do, there would be consequences for this. Yo, for anybody else. But for some reason, I'm different. I'm kind of above the law in this. I don't know why, but God just he kind of lets this stuff slide with me. I mean totally for everybody else. Totally. Consequences. Totally. But for me, I guess I'm just special. Why? Because I'm not, I'm not getting the consequences of sin. And the fact of the matter is, of course, the Bible says none of those things, none of those things are true. The reason there is a delay in the sentence of execution is to give you time for repentance. It is his kindness that the reason he doesn't lightning bolt strike Adam and Eve down. He has a plan for your redemption. He loves you. He's giving you time, but we don't see it that way. In his excellent little book. Tempted and Tried. I recommend it to everybody by Russell Moore. M O O R E. Russell Moore wrote an amazing book on temptation, perhaps one of the best I've ever read. Tempted and Tried. In that book, Russell Moore said something harrowing. To me, I just had to put the book down for a minute. I had never thought of this before. He says, The next time you sin and you don't immediately feel the consequences of your sin, He said, don't think it's God shielding you from those consequences. The one who's shielding you from the pain of your sin might be Satan. What? He said, yes. Satan doesn't want you to wake up. He wants you to remain numb. And the worst thing that could happen to you from Satan's point of view is that you get shocked with some painful consequence. You do a sin and you get caught. Ah, i got to repent and change my mind. So Satan shields you from that consequence. Why? Because he's grooming you for eternal pain. He's just fattening you up. And he's looking at the other demons going, no, 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 don't let him face that consequence. Do what you can to block that. Do what you can to block that. Why? Oh, because he's food. I had to put the book down. I was like, Lord, we need, we need to talk. <laughs> it was a wake-up call for me. and should be for you, too. Like, wait a minute, the reason we're not feeling this stuff might be that we're being groomed. And, 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 and pain is not only God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world, God uses pain to rouse a sinful world. He, that lightning bolt could get your attention. And that could lead you to repentance, don't you know? So the, the, this is such an important point that Ecclesiastes sort of stops himself here. He doesn't do this often in the book, but here's a spot where he does it. He, this is such an important point he, see, what he does in Ecclesiastes, he kind of plays this secular professor where he's questioning, he's getting you to ask. At this point, he's like, let me just drop the veil for a second, all right? Like It's almost like, all right. And the professors in college will do this sometimes, especially in seminary. They talk about, well, this Bible could mean this, this Bible verse could mean this. And eventually, you're like, what do you think? And eventually, they'll be like, all right, all right, let me put my cards on the table. Here's what I actually think about this stuff, right? It's a great moment. That's what happens right here. He goes, look, let me, let me just shoot straight with you. Uh, Let's be clear. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. That's right. It may be a hundred times before God gets involved. Even though that happens, yet I know. That's an important verb over and over again. This is why I say it's different. Over and over again in Ecclesiastes, what's he been saying? Yet I observe. I see, I have seen, I tasted all these pleasures. I have observed. Haven't you ever noticed? Didn't you discover? When I went out, I saw a young man. I saw this. This is different. He goes, I can't see this at all because there is no justice with what I see. But I know by faith. See, this is different. I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. It will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow. You know, as the day gets longer, your shadow gets taller and taller. Say it's not going to happen because he does not fear before God. He's confirming a biblical truth here that is so hard to preach, but we have to we have to talk about it. And it's so hard because it's 2015. <laughs> okay. The biblical truth that he's trying to point out is simply this. It's the law of the harvest. Here's why the law of the harvest is so, so difficult. Over and over in the Bible, they use agricultural metaphors, and it was awesome because every time they spoke about these agricultural metaphors, the law of the harvest, you reap what you sow. Every time they would preach that, everybody would be like, totally makes sense. What a breakthrough metaphor. Yes, I am a farmer. I, too, am a farmer. We are surrounded by farmers. We all farm. We grow our food. Law of the harvest totally makes sense. Today, it's a little tougher to preach law of the harvest, Because we live in a world of the law of the open an app on my smartphone device. And they're very, I worked a long time to concoct this metaphor, so stay with me. They're very different metaphors, and they're very hard to preach. Here we go. Law of the harvest, law of the open an app on my smartphone device. This is the world we live in. When you open an app on your smartphone device, there's three things, there are three things that are very different from the law of the harvest. The first is this. When you press the app on your smartphone, if you don't have a smartphone, it's this thing. Uh, I, I, it's, uh, it's like a landline with like pictures. Uh, a, mag- a magazine that moves. Here we go. When you, uh, when you press the app on your smartphone, here's one thing you expect. You expect immediate action. Nobody presses an app and goes, well, I'm going to put on a pot of coffee. Hopefully that'll, I mean, some of your phones, that may be the case. Time to upgrade. But right, you expect immediate action, okay? So Action, immediate reaction. That's number one. Number two, you expect a similar quality from what you, no surprises. When you open Spotify, you don't want Angry Birds to come up or whatever, okay? When you open your email app, you don't want the phone to come up. Whatever it is, you want the same, okay? So you want immediate, you want it same. And here's the other thing. You want just one app to open. You want that app to open. You don't want 10 apps to open. You don't want to press a button and have like 30 apps open, okay? That's the law of the opening a smartphone app the law of the harvest is the complete opposite in every category I grew, up surrounded, I grew up in Kentucky surrounded on three sides by crop fields let me tell you something when they would plant those fields every spring nothing happened nothing law of the harvest what you plant, what you, re- what you sow you will reap watch this, it just takes a long time that's number one in the law of the harvest whatever you're planting right now you will not feel immediate consequences but they are there they are coming. They've been planted. They will come. Just as sure as there was a harvest every fall, it will come. It just takes time. No one escapes the law of the harvest. It just takes a long time. Number two, it's when you, when you plant, here's the other thing. You get something totally different than what you planted. You thought you were just planting a sin. You've reaped an addiction. You didn't ask for an addiction. You thought you were planting just a habit. You reaped a character. You thought you were planting just a little character. You were reaping a destiny. It's different. There's no way, no way, no way you could take any one of these kids, you could show them an eggplant and go, what do you think that came from? There's no way you'd predict an eggplant seed. I don't even know what an eggplant seed looks like. You know, you don't either. Oh, well, I guess you eat it. There's no way. If I showed you an eggplant seed and said, you think that'll fry up good with Parmesan? there's no way you would say, oh yeah, that makes sense. There's no way you could predict, if I showed you an acorn, there's no way, that's what's planted, you get an oak tree, you get something totally different. That should scare you. Because you plant the sin, but then what, what comes out is not the same. And lastly, what you plant comes out in spades. No farmer plants one kernel of corn... That's forward months. And goes, got my kernel back. It's a bountiful harvest. And we're done. Nobody does that. Nobody does. You plant a kernel of corn and what? You get a stalk. Lots of ears of corn. Each ear having multiple kernels. Does that make sense? The law of the harvest always gives you more than you wanted of this different quality thing. It just happens later. Now, that should scare us. I would like to give you a little bit of good news. The law of the harvest also works in good things. When you pray, it's the same thing, law of the harvest. What you sow, you'll reap. But there's no reason you have to keep sowing sin. You could sow blessings. You could sow prayer. When you pray, some of you are not receiving the answer to your prayer. You're going to get it six months from now. You're going to get it six years from now. But it's coming. And when it's answered, it's not going to look like what you prayed. It's going to be bigger. And you're going to get lots of it. Some of you right now are being blessed. You've never connected the dots on this. Some of you right now, there's a blessing in your life because of prayer you prayed six years ago. They just harvested. That's all. So keep planting. You said, but I haven't been, I didn't pray, I didn't pray six years ago. Well, listen, the Puritan said it this way: the best time to plant a tree was 50 years ago. But if you didn't do that, the second best day to plant a tree is today. So plant that stuff. You don't know what's gonna come. You don't know, it works both ways, but I'll tell you this. You sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. That's it. That's the law of the harvest, because it sure doesn't look that way, because what you see is totally different. That's verse 12 and 13, what you see back to 14. You see this vanity where you don't see any of that harvest, because that's the point. It takes a while. Instead, you see all this. The good don't seem to get it. So what do we do with all this? How do we wrap this up? What do we do with all this? Knowing that this is the case, what does he say in verse 15? And I recommend to you total despair. I mean, that's one way we could end the sermon. And I recommend to you, hopelessness. Doesn't really matter what you do. Oh, everybody, nobody gets rewarded. Try to have a good Sunday. Behave, or don't. Apparently it doesn't matter. Right? We could end it there. But that's not, where the, that's not what the scripture says. Of all things, this is what I recommend. So here's what you need to go and do. Therefore, I commend <laughs> Therefore I commend joy. This is too much. What do you mean you commend joy? Yeah, man has nothing better under the sun, eat, drink, be joyful, and this will go with him in his toil through all the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. you got to be kidding me, joy? Well, where do we get this joy? Oh, oh, maybe we get the joy because one day we're going to find out the reason behind all our suffering. No. I've covered this before. Your joy, what you're looking for, if you finally get the answer for all your suffering, that's not going to help you. Look at what he says. You can't, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Look at what he says. I saw all the work of God. Man cannot find out the work that's done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Yeah, a really smart guy could. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So you're not going to get the joy in, in, in getting an answer. So what is it? Like, where do we, how can he commend joy? I mean, how do we even know? Does God care? Is there justice? Are we loved by God? Are we hated by God? Does he care? How do we know? He asked this question. This is our last verse. He's asking the question, I laid all this to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, whether it's love or hate, man doesn't know, both are before him. That's it. That's, that's Ecclesiastes. It's a book of questions. Where do we get, where do we get joy? How can we have joy? Does God, whether it's love or hate, man does not know. Does God love us? Does God hate us? Is there ever any reward for the righteous? Is there ever any punishment for the wicked? I mean, how do you know? How do you know what God thinks about you right now? You're sitting here in a church in Long Island. God is in heaven. How do you know what God thinks of you? Are any of you getting monthly report cards from God? I'm not. Any of you go to your mailbox? Ooh, return address heaven. Ooh, says here I got an A in parenting, right? Yeah, because I'm single, you know, or whatever. And uh, got an A plus in comedy, I think. Clearly. <laughs> oh, but look, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness says, see me, summer school. Okay, right, like. You failed the fruit of the Spirit. Nobody gets that. So how do you know? How do you know? Here's what we all do. If you want to know what God thinks of you right now, are you pleasing God? Does God love you? Here's what we all do. You do what I do. And it's the worst thing we could do. We look to our circumstances. And we look around and we go, Well, there's a lot of blessing. Yep, man, God must be good. Or we look around, there's a lot of pain, and go, God, what's up? Oh, what have we done? What did I do? What did you do? Huh? The Bible says that's a terrible place to look. Listen to me carefully. This is the most important thing you hear. You know, sermons, they try to come to the end, they try to land at hope. This is it. So don't miss this part. You'll leave depressed. If you want to know what God thinks of you, if you want to know how God is disposed toward you, if you want to know what God thinks of you, do not look to your circumstances to determine what God thinks of you. That's a terrible place to look. You won't find an answer there. The wise man claims to know. He cannot find it out. If you want to know what God thinks of you right now, do not, there's a place you can look, but it's not in your circumstances. If you want to know what God thinks about you right now, if you're curious to know God's opinion of you, do not look to your circumstances. You must look to the cross. Because there, on Calvary's cross, God answered forever the problem of justice. And literally, literally, li- not figuratively, literally all the pain of ecclesiastes 8 14 it li- that verse literally happened to king jesus on the cross on the cross the righteous one jesus who was perfectly righteous it happened to him according to the deeds of the wicked the bible says that all the sin all the wrath for wickedness that you and i deserve it was dumped where on the righteous one And in exchange, his righteousness is available to me, the wicked sinner. Ecclesiastes 8 is just asking the question, but the cross is the answer. The righteous one, it happened to the wicked. And the wicked one, see, where have you been standing this whole sermon? Where have you been standing this whole sermon? In every sermon, there's a conceptualized audience you create, and you give people places to stand. So you stand with Jesus denouncing the Pharisees, or you stand with the woman caught in adultery. If you're like me, you've been standing this whole sermon conveniently with the righteous, going, yeah, there's no justice for those sandwich thieves. Yeah, you're right. Pastor Tom, you're right, Ecclesiastes. Those wicked people need justice. And if you're not careful, you do that the whole sermon. You go, yeah, yeah, God, bring justice down on the wicked. Let the wicked receive what's coming to them. Let everyone who's wicked feel the full wrath of God. We cry out to God, give us justice. God goes, that's not what you want at all. Because of biblical understanding, you start to realize, I don't always get to stand with the righteous. A fearless moral inventory of my life reveals that more often than not, I'm standing with the wicked. Can I have some of your sandwich? Yeah, I stole it. (laughs) And when we cry out for justice, here's how good God is. He didn't give us justice. He gave us mercy. He poured out justice on the righteous one, King Jesus So that all the wicked, the Bible says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become what? That we might become the very righteousness of God. That's His mercy. So, the challenge tonight, and maybe the reminder, is not if you want to know how God feels. Did I say tonight? I've been been preaching a long time. It's not, (laughs) I meant today. It's not to look at your circumstances, it's to look up, look to the cross. Musicians are here, yeah, just give us a chance to respond and reflect, maybe just a little bit as you see fit. I would leave you hanging if I didn't finish that Psalm 73. Remember that Psalm? God, are you kidding me? The wicked are fine. The wicked's bodies are strong. Me, all day long punishments. But just so I don't leave you hanging, just so we close every little loop, the rest of that Psalm says, when I became embittered, my inmost being was, because that's what happens, you just get bitter. And he says, my innermost being was wounded. You're bitter for a good reason. You've been wounded. Here's what he says. You can't make this up. This is in the Bible. When I did that, I was stupid. I didn't understand. I was like an unthinking animal towards you. And yet, I'm always with you. You hold hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterward, you'll take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you, yeah, they'll certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, listen, God's presence is my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell all about you. The psalmist is saying, I'm not looking around at my circumstances anymore. That's a fool's errand. I'm not gonna do that. God's presence is my good. And that's my answer for suffering. You're with me. Let's spend time reflecting and pondering the great sacrifice that Christ made on the cross where Ecclesiastes 8.14 was literally made real right there on that cross for us and our salvation. And pour out our hearts to it. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.